Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Kat Timpf. I'm Stuart Varney. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, April 26, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Republicans are excited about midterms, but there are still some congressional seats that could go blue, including in the Senate, which is evenly split. One of the critical seats is in Ohio, where a Republican is retiring and the likely Democratic candidate is putting up a heck of a fight, as Republicans duke it out amongst themselves ahead of next week's primary. On Monday, I might be taking on Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden. But on Tuesday, I might be taking on some of the squishy rhino Republican Party bosses, and I'm unafraid to do that. I'm Dave Anthony. We're now into the third month of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. What's going to determine how long they fight? A lot of it is how quickly the U.S. and NATO can give them these fresh weapons and the tactical coaching that goes with it. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman's retirement has sent Republicans scrambling to fill the seat. They were all vying for the endorsement of the former president, but then President Trump weighed in backing J.D. Vance, a man some Ohio Republicans said should not have received his backing due to his prior anti-Trump comments. What I'd like to do is ask J.D. Vance, come forward. I want to pick somebody that's going to win. Trump acknowledged Vance had said some negative things about him before, and when he first said Vance's name, there were some boos at the Saturday rally in Delaware County, Ohio. Polling so far has gone Josh Mandel's way. The former Ohio state treasurer has been the front runner at times, but so has businessman Mike Gibbons. We'll find out shortly what Trump's endorsement means in updated polling. But Vance told this podcast last week he's more optimistic now. Certainly with the president's endorsement, I think I'm the clear favorite in the race. I mean, look, I think there are a lot of differences. I think the main general difference is these guys don't actually believe this stuff. When they're asked questions, they always retreat to the talking points. They always retreat to Mm -hmm. the slogans. They don't answer the questions about substance. Kicking off the week after the Trump-Vance rally, Gibbons released a new ad. You can't believe him. Josh Mandel is a politician. J.D. Vance, a celebrity. They make careers creating nothing but their own image. I made mine creating jobs. And even without the coveted endorsement, Mandel plowed ahead as well, holding a recent rally with retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who briefly served as Trump's national security advisor. Josh Mandel, as you see, and as you guys have gotten to know him, for all those Ohioans in here, you get to know this guy and you say, man, this guy's a tough guy. He's a fighter. Ahead of today, Mandel had led the most recent poll, though it was taken just a couple of days before Trump endorsed Vance. We're confident. We're going to win the primary on May 3rd. Josh Mandel is an Ohio Republican Senate candidate. You know, our campaign is different than the other campaigns in that all the other campaigns are running traditional races through the Republican Party groups. I made a decision early on that I was going to sidestep the traditional Republican Party groups and instead run the campaign through churches. Now, when I made this announcement, you know, my opponents were laughing at me. The Republican Party groups were ridiculing me, but they're not laughing anymore. 
you know, while my opponents struggle to get 50 people in a bar or a restaurant for one of their meet and greets, we're getting 400, 500, 600 people to come to our church town halls. And, and the core of my campaign, I'd say the grassroots that is fueling it is this army of uh, evangelical Christians and other leaders throughout the state and Christian activists throughout the state who feel so strongly about having someone like me in office. And I think, you know, they look at a Ted Cruz, they look at a Jim Jordan, and they say, we got to send reinforcements. And, you know, in this race for U.S. Senate, I'm the Ted Cruz, I'm the Jim Jordan, and it's one of the reasons we're going to win on May 3rd. And the church focus, though, talk to me a little, just briefly a little bit more about that. Is that obviously those are people you feel you can connect with. Why? I think a lot of people, when they hear campaigning in churches, they think of cultural issues. Sure. So I I feel very strongly that America was founded and grew strong on a bedrock of Judeo-Christian values. And there are so many factors that differentiate that Judeo-Christian ethic from other belief sets. But one of the main differentiating factors is our acknowledgement of good versus evil and our willingness to fight for good over evil. And right now there's a lot of evil in the world, but there's also a lot of evil here in this country. And I think the Christian activists throughout the state, they want to send someone to Washington who's going to be a fighter, who's unafraid And someone like me who on Monday, I might be taking on Schumer, Pelosi, and Biden, but on Tuesday, I might be taking on some of the squishy rhino Republican Party bosses, and I'm unafraid to do that. Uh, Part of the, you know, thrust behind, you know, so much Christian support in our corner also is that I've been a real pointy tip of the spear leader in the right to life movement here in Ohio. When John Kasich was trying to kill the pro-life heartbeat bill. I was the only statewide official who had the courage to stand up to Kasich. When the Republican Speaker of the House here was trying to censor pastor's prayer on the floor of the State House, I stood up to the Republican Speaker. And so whether it's standing up for religious liberty, whether it's standing up for life, whether it's standing up for traditional American values and Judeo-Christian values, the uh, base of our campaign is uh, Christians throughout the state who are supporting me. And people ask me why I'm running. And I give them three reasons. Gideon, who's five years old, Judah, who's seven years old, and Rosie, who's nine years old. And my personal feeling is this is not about us anymore. This is about fighting to save the country for my kids, for your kids, and for the kids and grandkids of all your listeners. Josh, let me ask you, because you just said religious liberty is one of the things you're fighting for. And you specifically said Judeo-Christian values, not Muslim values. I know you have received criticism before for sort of the way that you've talked about people of Muslim faith or the Muslim faith. Why make that a part of how you present things in your campaign? Why mention that, you know, this is not about Islam or especially because even President Trump, his administration really made this big effort with the Abraham Accords to, you know, bridge Israel with Muslim countries um, and and sort of change that trajectory? What, why are you sort of trying to distance yourself from what you just said, like with people of the Muslim faith? Well, first of all, I spent 14 months of my life defending innocent Muslims from Muslims who were animal terrorists. 
I'm a Marine, did two tours in Ambar Province, Iraq, did my small part. And so, you know, of all the people running for U.S. Senate in Ohio, you know, I'm the only one who spent that much time defending innocent Muslims. And so I think that's an important backdrop. Second, I think the Abraham Accords under President Trump and Ambassador David Friedman are probably the single most significant foreign policy accomplishment in my lifetime from a United States president. And so I think the more, you know, there can be business relations and foreign relations uh, like President Trump facilitated, the better. Now, separate from that, I believe radical Islam in America and the proliferation of radical Islam is a virus that must be destroyed. I'll give you some examples here in Ohio. You know, there are radicals at mosques in Toledo, and they operate in that Dearborn, Michigan to Toledo corridor. In Columbus, there's radicals in mosques there. In fact, some of the radical Somali Muslims in the Columbus area um, got caught going to Syria to fight with Al-Qaeda. And this is right here in the state of Ohio. And so, you know, we must be vigilant in combating this virus of radical Islam. You had said um, prior to last week that you were working for Donald Trump's endorsement. Why do you think you didn't get it? Listen, on May 3rd, we're going to win this race. And I look forward to working with President Trump to beat Tim Ryan and the Democrats in November. And then once we go past November, when I'm in the U.S. Senate, I look forward to working with President Trump to continue advancing the America First agenda. You know, a lot of these squishy Rhino Republicans, along with the media, along with the Democrats, they think America First is a slogan. It's not a slogan. It's a governing philosophy. You know, when you think of that governing philosophy applied to the border, it means securing the border. It means deporting everyone who's illegal. And it means putting our people ahead of foreigners, not because we hate people from other countries, but because we love our family and love our community and love our country. You know, America first, when applied to economics and jobs here in Ohio and in America, it means putting manufacturing companies in Youngstown and Dayton and Cleveland ahead of manufacturing companies in Shanghai and New Delhi and Mexico City. And I believe so strongly in the America first agenda and policies because it means bringing our jobs back from China, back from Mexico, back from India. And President Trump was the first one to do that. If Josh, if you win without Trump's endorsement, what does that say about endorsements from the former president? Listen, I believe in President Trump and the America First agenda. After we win this race on May 3rd, I'm looking forward to working with President Trump to beat the Democrats in November and to continue advancing the America First agenda. You know, the America First agenda, it served the people of Ohio well. That's why he got reelected here by such a high margin. You know, people here were doing better. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I look forward to working with President Trump here in the general election to really stick it to Tim Ryan and beat the Democrats. And we're going to go on offense. We're going to campaign in black churches. We're going to campaign in Hispanic neighborhoods. We're going to say to people of all colors that the party of opportunity, the party of freedom, the party of liberty is the Republican Party. The party that fought for civil rights is the Republican Party. And my personal feeling is it's time to go on offense on all these issues. Josh, you did not answer my last two questions, though. I did ask, why do you think you didn't get the endorsement? And if you win without it, what does that say about the power of Trump's endorsements? Do you want to answer either of those two questions? 
Well, again, you know, I think the Trump America first agenda is alive and well, and uh, I'm confident I'm going to win this primary. And I'm looking forward to working with President Trump to beat Tim Ryan and the Democrats in November. And once I'm in the Senate, looking forward to working with President Trump to advance the America first agenda. Okay, I know I have to let you go, but we have to talk about that moment between you and Mr. Gibbons, one of your rivals at that debate. You obviously felt insulted. You you jumped up. I guess Gibbons had said something about your real world business experience um, and you got defensive. It appeared that you felt insulted or you were reacting as though you felt insulted. What was that about? Because um, in a Senate race, we're not used to seeing our, our candidates, you know, get in each other's faces like that. And was there any consequence from that? Listen, I'm a fighter. I'm never going to back down from a fight. I'm a Marine vet. And, you know, I'm not going to sit there while some guy like hovers over me like he's my boss and I'm sitting in a cubicle. And so, yeah, that's just the reality of who I am. And listen, if voters here want to send some wimpy pansies to Washington, I'm not their guy. But if they want to send someone like Jim Jordan, like Ted Cruz, who's got a steel spine, backbone, fighter mentality, I'm their guy, Josh Mandel. And, you know, if your listeners want to learn more about me, they can go to my website, joshmandel.com. I am pro-God, pro-gun, pro-liberty, pro-Trump, and I'm going to be the next U.S. Senator from Ohio. Last one. You will have run for Senate three times now. If you don't win this primary, I know you believe you will, um, but let's say if you don't, are you still going to stay in politics? Are you going to find something else to do in the political realm? I'm confident we're going to win the primary on May 3rd. I'm confident we're going to win the general election in November. And I'm looking forward to fighting for the people of Ohio. Uh, you know, I did my small part in the Marine Corps on a couple of tours in Iraq. And I'm looking forward to doing my part in the United States Senate representing Ohio and, and really fighting to stand up for the Constitution, for traditional biblical values. You know, I mentioned it earlier and I'm going to mention it again. This isn't about us anymore. The fight we're in now is to try to save America for my kids, for your kids, and for the kids and grandkids of your listeners. And I think it's a fight worth fighting. Josh Mandel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's the strongest American show of support for Ukraine yet. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, after he and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin took a train to the capital, Kiev, pledging more military aid and financing. And we are uh, doing everything that we can to get them uh, the, the types of support, the types of uh, artillery and munitions that will be effective in this stage of the fight. They met face-to-face with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky for the first time since Russia invaded more than two months ago. We agreed upon future steps with the American side for strengthening armed forces of Ukraine. But the day after that meeting, Russia, which keeps attacking eastern Ukraine, 
bombed five central and western Ukrainian train stations and some fuel facilities. Imagine the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense together on a train. That's a first. Dr. Rebecca Grant is a Fox News contributor, a military analyst, president of Iris Independent Research. I was really struck with Secretary Austin's comment when he said that we want to see Russia weakened to the point that they can't reconstitute their military capability. I don't think I've ever heard a U.S. Secretary of Defense say that directly about weakening Russia's military. You Amazing know, statement. It is. And here we are. We're in the now the third month of Russia's offensive. It was thought back when this started in late February that Russia, with all its military might, was just going to bulldoze Ukraine and take the capital in a couple of days, and and it would be a, a, an easy Russian victory. We certainly overestimated Russia's military, underestimated Ukraine's forces. Is it out of the realm, considering what Russia's lost, that that might actually be possible, that we could weaken them to that level? No question. They have the ability now to beat Russia and to kick all the Russians out of Ukraine. It will take time, it will take help, but Blinken and Austin, to look at their faces and listen to their words, they are ready to make that commitment. But in the eastern part, Russia took a little pause, went back to refocus on eastern Ukraine, certain areas in the Donbass region that are Russian-speaking areas, and, 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 and do you think that they can be driven even out of those areas by Ukrainian forces? I mean, Ukraine suffered a lot of losses and a lot of ruins in a lot of these places already. That's the question, and it will be up to Zelensky in the end. But Russia has some advantages, the mass and the firepower and the persistence and Putin being crazy. But Ukraine has advantages as well because Russia's pretty weak in some other key areas, maneuver, sustainment, battlefield intelligence. And I think the brutality that we've seen from Russia has changed the calculation for Ukraine, for the Pentagon and for the world. And now the idea of liberating those so-called people's republics, I think that's possibly on the table, depending on how well Ukraine can keep fighting. Now, there is a difference between being able to take over an area and then being able to actually control it and rule it, correct? And Russia knows that in 2014 and 2015, they actually took some of the territory they're fighting over now, but they couldn't hold it and Ukraine took it back. So I think if we see a much more determined Ukrainian offensive in that area, then it's possible that Russia loses even those Eastern republics. Zelensky has kind of taken the Crimea off the table for the moment, saying that he's willing to negotiate about that one later. But everything that Zelensky and really NATO leaders too are saying is that all of Ukraine needs to be free of Russia and how will Ukraine ever be safe if any Russian soldiers remain there? What about Mariupol? I mean, we've had that city in near ruins. I mean, the people who are still there, they have very little left, and it's very hard even to have food, water, and any of those things. And now there are, are these Ukrainian soldiers trapped there with civilians in, in, in one particular area. How important is that city to Russia? Why, why is that city a big target for them? Mariupol is important both strategically, they want, because it's in the Donetsk 
province. So they have to have Mariupol to completely occupy Donetsk and also because of the logistics in that area. Tactically, it's important to both sides because Russia has about 8,000 soldiers, 12 battalion tactical groups fighting in there right now. And those are forces that are not able to join another part of the offensive. So it's important for Ukraine to hold out. And I'm just amazed, but you know, the Pentagon keeps telling us that Mariupol has not been completely taken over. So that incredible holdout in the steel area is is just staggering. Mariupol, it's it's a tragedy for the world. First, what happened with the theater, now the destruction of this beautiful little city and the brave holdout. It should just stand as a reason why we have to get Russia out of Ukraine. Now, the U.S. is sending 165 million more in ammunition, 300 million now more in foreign military financing. And, and the assumption is that more military help is on the way. How effective has already what we've sent been? Oh, it's making the difference of victory for them, including the training that the U.S. and other allies gave them in the beginning. And of course, we know now we are continuing to help train Ukraine. Secretary Austin said some of those 155 howitzer cannons actually have now arrived in Ukraine. They can't do it without this help from the U.S. and from many other NATO partners. It's crucial. But they're not going to get help from the air, right? That 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 concept is over, right? Looks like they will get air defense help, but you're right. We're asking Ukraine to fight without any really effective air power. Our American army hasn't fought without air cover in a hundred years, but we're making Ukraine do it. They're going to have to do it the hard way. The good news is they're doing well and they are effectively using drones, both for surveillance, for communications and for targeting. So they do have the drone air power. I wish they had more. It would end things quicker, but at least they're getting some help with surveillance and targeting through the drones. One thing that Secretary Blinken said was that starting next week, they're going to have American diplomats return to Ukraine. They'll make some trips into Lviv, and then ultimately they hope to reopen the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, and President Biden's already nominating a new U.S. ambassador. We haven't had one in Ukraine in like three years. Bridget Brink, current U.S. ambassador to Slovakia, who has also been in other areas in that region in her career. Do you know her? Do you like the choice? Uh, Ambassador Brink is a superb choice, and I'm just sorry that it took the Biden administration this long to get her in there. I hope that the Senate will confirm her real fast. As you say, she's the ambassador now in Slovakia, which borders Ukraine. She's very familiar with this region, and I think Ambassador Brink will be a huge asset for U.S. policy and helping Ukraine as well. I'm really glad that they should just get her there tomorrow. Some world leaders are breathing a sigh of relief that France's president was re-elected over the weekend. Emmanuel Macron defeated nationalist candidate Marine Le Pen, but admits that many people tonight voted for me not to support my ideals but to block the far right. Le Pen was seen as more sympathetic to Russia and maybe less NATO-friendly. But Macron has been in contact with Russian leader Vladimir Putin during the Ukraine invasion. President Biden calls it a good election outcome, and Rebecca Grant agrees. I'm glad Macron will stay. 
Macron and Putin talked a lot during the Minsk process and the Normandy process. These were diplomatic efforts involving Ukraine over the last several years. They're kind of all on hold now. But I'm especially glad Macron will stay because Macron is a big supporter of NATO. Remember, France only came back into NATO in 2009. And with everything going on with Russia, China and the world, we need a really strong French presence in NATO. And Macron will guarantee that France stays in NATO and stays strong. There are reports that Finland and Sweden will together come forward and say they want to join the NATO alliance maybe sometime in May and make a bid. Is that surprising to you? And what would be such a obviously that would not go over well with with Vladimir Putin? Right. I hope that Finland and Sweden will quickly join NATO. But let me tell you what a huge change this is. Sweden hasn't been in a military alliance in 200 years. Finland has had a long neutrality policy. Both countries would never have dreamed of joining NATO a year ago. It's specifically Putin's threat and his unreasonable behavior Finland, 800-mile border with Russia. They need to be part of NATO to ensure they have that air defense picture. Both of them are great militaries. They've exercised and deployed forces with NATO under the Partnership for Peace. I hope we'll welcome them quickly. But I've just got to emphasize that the political foreign policy change for these two nations is extraordinary. And it just shows you what a threat Putin really is and how good the NATO alliance is. What could Putin do to try to stop that? I mean, does he have any potential of preventing that? I mean, he might he might uh, warn of consequences. I assume he might. Uh, Putin would be crazy to mess with Finland. You already called him crazy. Sweden. <laughs> he is already crazy. I'm going to tell you, look, Finland has uh, more guns than they have pine trees in that nation. After the 1939 war with the Soviet Union, they keep their armed forces. They can reconstitute 300,000 soldiers just like that. They're very modern military. I'd say now if Putin does anything to either of those countries, they are enough in the NATO family that Putin has to expect retaliation from NATO. I think we're already far enough down the road to protect Finland and Sweden. I wouldn't put it past him to plop in some conventional missile somewhere, but he'd be crazy to do it. Finland and NATO could block off, for example, the entire Gulf of Finland, that body of water that leads to St. Petersburg in Russia. How long do you think Ukraine and Russia could fight? How long could this go? Um, anyone's guess, but based on the last conflict, it lasted about nine months before there was a rickety ceasefire put into place. What's going to determine how long they fight? A lot of it is how quickly the U.S. and NATO can give them these fresh weapons and the tactical coaching that goes with it. That's what's going to really drive the length of this fight at this point. Dr. Rebecca Grant, military analyst, president of Iris Independent Research, also a Fox News contributor. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? Every single day, there is some new fresh hell, as writer and satirist Dorothy Parker would likely assign to the dumb times we are living in. The compost used to bury us keeps getting shoveled in from Washington, Hollywood, and Silicon Valley, and wherever else Democrats plot and Marxists organize. Those who would assign us to a Marxist struggle session hell for the rest of our lives are on defense now on every single issue. There's a lot of winning out there, as President Donald Trump would say. Winning is good, but it's important to know about it so that we can remain energized and inspired. Fighting back is worth it. Being on the offense is worth it. Saying no and doing something about it is worth it. The left has succeeded most often because conservatives and other concerned Americans did not push back. The left doesn't crush us politically and culturally because they're right. They get it done because the legacy GOP has never really gone on the offensive. Why now? Because Mr. Trump has set the tone and showed everyone that standing up for your values works. In the process, he exposed the left and so many in the establishment. They aren't a bunch of bleeding hearts breaking a sweat to improve people's lives. No, they're grifters and Marxists and opportunists. They're shallow, lying cheaters who melt the moment you turn on the light and look them in their beady eyes. Fighting for what you believe in matters. There's a lot of winning, which also inspires others to step up and do the right thing. Consider this raft of winning and good news. Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty when a jury was presented with the facts of his case, making clear the prosecution itself was a product of woke expectations and should never have been brought in the first place. A professor punished for refusing to use a student's preferred pronouns sued and won. He's now $400,000 richer, and his case set a precedent that will affect universities everywhere. An appeals court upheld a family-owned bakery's $32 million verdict against Oberlin University over false racism charges after the bakery dared to confront and stop shoplifters. Disney found out bending to the woke mob is a mistake. The company decided they would get political and oppose the very popular Florida Parental Rights and Education Bill, which had been falsely smeared by leftist activists and the Democratic Party machine as an anti-gay plot. The bill is now law and wildly popular. Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis answered Disney's ill-advised political activism by revoking special self-governing privileges it enjoyed since 1967. Warner Brothers killed the streaming service CNN Plus after just 21 days. As some on Twitter mused, why would people pay for something they won't watch for free? And speaking of Twitter, Elon Musk has now officially purchased Twitter and now is taking it as a private company in one of the most important battles for free speech in a generation. What I've outlined for you here is just the tip of the iceberg. Happy warriors out there are acting on the fact that we no longer have the option of sitting back and watching the destruction unfold. The Democrats and their leftist enablers do not mean well and are finally realizing the American people are not sheep. All of this is because you won't give up.
Speaking of which, I'll leave you with another headline with one more piece of good news reminding us it takes time, but fighting back is worth it. Quote, two election forecasters shift more than a dozen House races in favor of the Republicans. End quote. Stay steady and focused, everyone. This is Tammy Bruce. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.